Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Series 2, episode 32 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Let's go. Here we are. We've been... been Basking in the sun, as have a, a couple of thousand travelling Reds in Sunderland. Uh, probably, probably not my first choice of city um, to pick for a few beers in the sun, but there we go. It's been a fine day. Um, we've actually managed to beat a team, and they're managed by David Moyes to make it even more satisfying. Um, we're talking that 3-0 win, and we're also talking Man United kicking things off at the Dallas Cup, the oldest youth football tournament in the U.S., Javier Hernandez, Chicharito making a Mark Hughes-esque return to Old Trafford and Adnan Yanezai's future at the club and more. Plus, we'll have an extra little episode released on Monday morning with John Chapman, Belgian football journalist, previewing Thursday night's game against Anderlecht. Jack, David Moyes watching on as Marouane Fellaini captains Man United. The first time he's ever captained a team in his professional career and it's Man United against David Moyes. Um, all, all in all, uh, a very satisfying afternoon in, in the British sun. A, a strange irony to see Marianne Fellaini come out with the captain's armband on. A professional win, nothing spectacular, and Sunderland were terribly bad. I mean, I can't see them breaking 30 points at this rate. Professional win, we got the job done, 3-0 was good, three three very good goals, honestly, as well. Um, the most important thing was just to come out of there with a win, and we now we can now move on and hopefully try and put some of the bad results we've had recently behind us. 3-0. It was a good chance to get a few goals on the on the board, uh, improve our goal difference slightly, and and we did that. I think it it could and should have been more, but that doesn't mean I'm not happy with a three 0 win. Could could have easily been five or six 0 and to be honest, it probably should have been five or six 0 I think last last few minutes was slightly annoying. There was uh, there was a two v one and then a two v two chances not too far apart from each other. We wasted both with the final ball, but. Zlatan eventually did get the final ball right and, and Rashford finished it off for the 3-0. We're always going to pick out the criticisms, but let's, I mean, start with the start with the good stuff first. Um, 
Marin Fellaini is the uh, most successful captain in Man United history with a 100% <laughs> win rate. <laughs> uh, over Roy Keane, over Gary Neville, over, over Manu Vidic and Brian Robson. Um, but anyway, I mean, the best thing to come out of that game, uh, Luke Shaw was fantastic. Or not fantastic, Luke Shaw was good. And that's what we want. We don't... Uh, we weren't blown away by Luke Shaw, but it was nice to have an attacking influence on the left fullback position, which we we generally don't have when we play any other players. And it was also brilliant to see Marcus Rashford score in the league for the for the first time since September. I I love watching Marcus Rashford and watching him score. Um, and we've got a little question about him. I'll, I'll say that in a second. But go on. Yeah, I was happy to see Luke, Luke Shaw play, and he impressed me. Um, wasn't an, an incredible performance, but I said it was good. And the reaction that he got from Mourinho coming off was positive. Hopefully, it looked it looked like it was quite a cordial relationship coming off. So hopefully, that can be the start of him getting a run of games. I don't think him being taken off was any comment on his performance, really. By that point, the game had been wrapped up and Luke Shaw was on a yellow card. So I think it was a, a smart decision to bring him off. Um, Fellaini, I, I actually quite liked him captain the side. I thought it was a nice gesture from Mourinho and rewarded him for what, Generally has been a much better better season from Fellaini, to be fair. We haven't really spoken about him that much, which I guess is is probably to his credit, because usually when Man United fans talk about Fellaini, it's to say terrible things about him. Um, so in some ways, I thought it was uh, a reward for a much better season so far for Fellaini, but it still felt weird to see, it, see him captain the side. We definitely could have uh, could have ended, ended up getting some more goals to improve our goal difference. That could end up coming into play. We have two games in hand on Liverpool at the moment and six points behind, but our goal difference is a few goals worse. So if we if we could have won today four or five nil, it would have just made that made made that possibility of cashing up with Liverpool's goal difference that bit easier. But I mean, a three nil win against a struggling side, you can't really ask for much more. We got the job done. Some some good performances overall. Um, I thought Zlatan was disappointing, but at, at the end of the day, he still came out of the game with a goal and an assist, which he seems to have a knack of doing. So far in the levels, especially in the last couple of months, where his performances seem to have dipped, but his goal rate hasn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was given man of the match by Sky, inconceivably again, and I, I believe NBC, which is where you're watching from. Um, yeah, he um, was. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't deserve man of the match. Sure, it was a good assist for Rashford, and and he was good to make the pass at the right time. But the finish was Rashford's. His goal was brilliant. I mean, and, and to be fair, the Rashford goal, I think. Pogba's contribution to that goal is being overlooked as well. It was a brilliant piece of skill in midfield and then a great ball to release Rashford in the first place. Yeah, a fantastically weighted pass for Rashford and then, and then Rashford cuts it back very slightly to Zlatan and he plays the pass and Rashford finishes. Uh, Fellaini, I mean, I tweeted this earlier. I do actually like Fellaini as a as both, a, not, not in the way he plays, but as a player and as a person, I, I genuinely like Fellaini. I mean, I hate that we have to use him and everything, but he's got determination and he, he cares about United. That's, that's blatantly obvious, and he cares about showing it and proving people wrong. I mean, it's just a pity that he's generally quite rubbish at football. But I do, I mean, I like him. I, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that he has to be captain. But and I think Pogba uh, should have been captain or Herrera. I think those are the the two options above, above Fellaini. But at the same time, I wasn't like, I mean, I was shocked and uh, laughing when Fellaini was named as captain. But I wasn't angry. If you know what I mean, yeah, Rashford. Um, we had, we had a a question in from Ian Brunston, um, regular listener. He said, uh, "Marcus Rashford, five minute legend. 
What does he actually add to the team? I'll let you start on this one first. I've 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 spoken to him already, but I'll reiterate my views in a second. Go on. I think what Rashford gives us is a great threat in behind. He has very good link-up play, which is an underrated part of his game. And generally this season, his performances have been very good. He's, just, he, he's been unlucky in a lot of situations, not, not to get a goal since September. Um, and I think this season hasn't been the heights of last season by any stretch, but... It's definitely been a still, a still a step forward from last season. He gives us a great threat in behind. He can play to play the ball to feet. He can hold up the ball relatively well. His link up play with Zlatan was great today, uh, and and he he plays he links up very well with the, uh, a lot of the midfielders as well. I think he offers a lot to us that not not many other players can. I think he he can do a lot of things that other players can do, whereas other players can only do one or two of those assets. Say can only run in behind or can only link play well. He manages to combine a lot of them into one one player, and I think that's what he gives us. Uh, it's strange because no one's ever really asked what does Rashford give United before. They've just been saying Rashford's brilliant, which is obviously the opinion I have. Um, Ian clearly questions that opinion. And he, he, he said, had Wilson not been loaned out last year, we'd never have heard of Rashford. But, I, I mean, that's not relevant at all because, I mean, with all due respect, Ian, I mean, that's got no relevance because we now have heard of Rashford. He's impressed us. He scored four goals in his first few games. And then he didn't stop there. He's not just a goal-scoring presence and clearly not just a goal-scoring presence because he's been playing well despite not scoring in the league since September and finally has done in this 3-0 win against Sunderland. But yeah, I think it's it's the pace, the lack of fear that Rashford has, the belief when he gets the ball that anything could happen. Nine times out of probably 13 or 14, attempts he has per game if he plays a full 90 minutes they're not going to be successful but the three or four times it does he either creates a goal for himself a chance for somebody else or a chance for himself and maybe he misses but he creates a, a ridiculous amount of chances we saw that when he came on for England against um albeit it was Lithuania but he, he still changes games because he has that pace because he he doesn't fear anything and Sometimes that can be bad because the amount of time he loses the ball per game, if, if you're just looking statistically, is is a lot. I mean, it's a lot more than any other player. Him and Martial are the most, I think. Um, I haven't actually got the stats for this game, but generally he loses the ball a lot. But, I mean, as a, as a player, he offers a huge amount, in my opinion. What else have we got to say about this this game? I mean, it was, it was hugely satisfying to virtually send Sunderland down, who are, I mean, after about 25 minutes, my only conclusion when we hadn't yet been brilliant was... Sunderland are really rubbish um, and that's I mean they really are dreadful there were there were just passes that were misplaced just pointlessly and headers that they didn't seem to be able to direct headers in any direction it was just head up hope hope for it to come down in the right place um, yeah Sunderland are rubbish and it's great to send them down because since uh, t- since 2011-12 season we, we've hated Sunderland yeah. <laughs> yeah, let, yeah let's not go back to that one um, yeah Sunderland really were hilariously bad at times honestly it reminded me a little bit of, of Aston Villa from, from last season, actually. Uh, just how catastrophically bad it was in so many ways. But it, it was, in some ways, quite nice to see us do a very professional job on a team like that because recently, or in recent seasons, I guess, we've struggled against a lot of these teams. You remember last season against Aston Villa in, at Villa Park and we, we come, came away with a 1-0 win thanks to a deflected goal from Adnan Yanazai that we really didn't deserve because we played terribly. And it was nice to see us put in a very professional display. We went 2-0 up with some, some decent goals. We didn't play incredibly well, but it was still a very comfortable victory, even though we didn't play that well, which was good to see because that was the kind of victories we used to put in week in, week out a few years ago. And that's what we need to be doing, just 
having nice, comfortable victories against teams like Sunderland, who really should not be in this league for too much longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sunderland do not fit the Premier League. Um, I think that's for sure. And David Moyes currently doesn't fit the Premier League. Um, and if you're wondering if I'm being bitter towards David Moyes, I I did like David Moyes when he left. And although I I felt a sense of relief when we found out he'd been sacked, but since then he's just been bitter, and that's the reason I don't like him. I'm, I'm, I hope Sunderland fans will do the Poznan in the Championship when they're when they're going to Luton Town away or whatever. I realised what I was going to say a few seconds ago. Zlatan Ibrahimovic's goal, um, I said he didn't deserve man of the match, definitely didn't, but his goal was fantastic. That that piece of individual brilliance we've been wait- we've needed for quite a long time. We've had games where we've needed that individual brilliance from Zlatan, Mkhitaryan, Pogba. Um, those are your main three candidates, even from Rashford and Martial. And it's just not been there. That was, I mean, he, he I think he knew that he was going to turn and shoot on the edge of the box about 10 seconds before it happened. He could see the opportunity opening up. He could see the Sunderland defenders waiting on the edge of the box. He could see himself sort of backing into the Sunderland players and turning. And uh, first time I saw it, I thought it was deflected, but actually it was just a brilliant, brilliant finish past, past Jordan Pickford. Yeah, I think one, one thing that I did like um, from what pundits and commentators have been saying about Ibrahimovic was someone asked him a question after the game on NBC about did the team need, need Zlatan to produce that spark from his goal? And I think it's a very true true question actually I think his general play in the last few months has been poor and it's been especially poor in the last last couple of games I, how he got man match today baffles me because he was pretty terrible for most of the game um, but we we weren't struggling for the first half an hour but we were kind of huffing and puffing and it, it looked like it might be another day where we had another game where we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net although we dominate possession and we dominate the shots and everything but just that one moment sparks the entire team and it made us play with so much more uh, openness, so much more confidence to, to to know that we have someone in the team who can produce that. And that it's not just a once a season kind of thing, you know, it, it doesn't happen every week, but it's definitely not the first time this season that he's produced a moment like that. I think it's great to have someone like that in the team who you know at any moment could produce something special. And when he does, it lifts the whole team to such an extent that it, it just... it. He, he, he himself has won us so many points, I think, from A, his goals, but also the way that he lifts the team around him. But having said that, that does not by any means take away from how bad a lot of his performances have been recently. The, the way commentators and pundits are constantly talking him up is really, really annoys me every single game. It's like anything that he does is, is, is lauded and any mistake that he makes, is, there's always an excuse for it, you know. Um, there was a chance right at the end where uh, just after the third goal, I think it was a ball over the top by Martial and Ibrahimovic didn't quite didn't quite reach the ball before it bounced and he and then he, he got there after the bounce shot it hit Pickford and then he had the rebound from a very tight angle and he slowed the play down he waited he waited it looked like he was waiting for some, for some support and he tried to lay the ball off to Herrera and just pass it straight to Ndong. Um but that it, it that wasn't that wasn't cared about by the commentators it was what a great run you know a great composure not to panic in that situation just shoot from the tight angle and it's just getting getting to the stage where commentators now they just never want to say anything bad about it. It really bugs me. It's it's classic British football media though. He first comes and everyone's going, "Oh, iconic player on the way down," and then now he's done well and they're suddenly praising him when they don't need to praise him because he doesn't deserve praise necessarily. Um, it, it's just it's just a classic sort of change in their opinions and now they're going over the top with it. Um, yeah. Because 
28 goals in a season is ridiculously good. I mean, that's Robin Van Persie-esque. And Van Persie was 20, what was he, 29. And Zlatan is 35, which is, I mean, his, his output has been ridiculously good. But at the same time, he has, he has missed a lot and he slows us down. It's weird because at the same time, he holds us back and he brings us forward, if 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 that makes any sense at all. The Seb Larson red card obviously obviously helped us out. I'll I'll let you go first as a as a referee, red or or yellow. First look, I, I thought it was a, a an awful decision. Honestly, um, it didn't look it looked fairly innocuous when I when I watched it live. Um, I think having seen it, I I think it's it's sort of an orange card. It, it's borderline. I can see why Craig Paulson has given it because it was naughty. Um, and he did well to spot actually how how naughty it was because I really had no idea when I was first watching it. But I think in that in that situation, I, I'd give Craig Pawson the benefit of the doubt. Either way that he actually went with that decision, I think you could easily justify it. Um, obviously, from our standpoint, it was good for us. I think it was it was probably slightly harsh, but I think it was it was justifiable definitely. I started off thinking it was yellow. I don't I don't like the phrase orange card. Sitting on the fence. Hey, I'm trying to help out a fellow referee here, Harry. <laughs> um, yeah, f- first look, I thought... When it first happened, I thought, that's bad. But I didn't think the ref had seen it because he took quite a while to come out with the card or, or even react at all. And then I thought, the first few replays, I, f- I thought it was, a, it was just a booking. But, I mean, if you really think about it, Larson was not in control of that challenge at all. Which means it's reckless. It was dangerous because his foot is, is 15, 16, 17, 18 inches in the air, which is knee height. Um, and what I thought was, it's a yellow because he hasn't made that much contact. But it's not really about contact, is it? Because if Herrera's knee had been two inches to the left or to the right, he's going straight into his knee with quite a lot of force off the ground. So, it, I mean, it's not intent because he hasn't gone with intent to break his leg, but uh, intent in the way that what could have happened um, from that tackle was deserving of a red card. So I, th- I think it was. a. I've, first, I thought it was yellow. I thought we, we've got a bit lucky here. It's a, it is a harsh red because nothing actually happened. But saying, oh, he didn't break his leg, so it can't be a red. I mean, I saw a lot of people saying that today. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that makes no sense at all. It, if it could break a leg, then it's a red. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's not about the injury. <laughs> Someone doesn't have to get injured to make something a foul a red card that's primary school stuff um, but yeah I, I, that, that really doesn't matter I think it was it was easily justifiable as a red I, I think um, I don't think it was a, a bad decision at all um, I, just quickly going back to strikers as well um, just what I was thinking about the other day this isn't exclusive to Man United but it's crazy to think how much the the calibre of strikers in the Premier League has improved in the last few years think about it a few years ago really the only top level striker we had once Van Persie left, was Aguero and, and maybe Costa. Uh, but at that point, Costa wasn't hitting the heights that he is now. And you, then now you think about the, sta- the standard of strikers now in the Premier League. You've got Aguero at City, uh, Ibrahimovic at United, Costa at Chelsea, Kane at Spurs, Lukaku at Everton, even Sanchez at Arsenal now as well. It, it's ridiculous how many great strikers are playing in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, we're being, we're being treated as a quite a few. It's weird because... While all of those are, are utterly brilliant strikers, Zlatan and Costa have both have both proved that while they're brilliant strikers, they score a huge amount of goals. They also miss a surprising number of chances. That's why it's weird. Final thing before before we move on, away support was was brilliant. I mean, uh, 
Aside from a, a routine win against a rubbish team, some good goals, nicely, and Rashford score, Shaw was good. I mean, that away end looked, looked absolutely classic. It started off with a, a tribute to Andy Coles, as we neared the end of the game, then Nicky Nicky Butt, Van Nistelrooy, best moment of the game. And uh, we've tweeted this out um, at UTD Weekly Pod, that's P O D. Um, someone's put a video of, as a United fans, I see Diego, Diego came from Uruguay, made the Scousers cry. Um, Mourinho turns around to Michael Carrick and says, Who's Diego? And Carrick starts laughing <laughs> in his face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we started off the podcast with uh, Andy Cole chant. We obviously wish Andy Cole, uh, I mean, the be- I hope he was sitting in his hospital bed. Watching the away end and hearing his name starting, that must be a that must be a good feeling. Um, but yeah, United away fans are top form. That looked like a, a very good away. I'm sure Brussels away will be fantastic as well. Um, get in touch with us if you're going to that. Right, time for a youth roundup. Um, let's start with looking ahead to the Dallas Cup. It's the United States' oldest youth football tournament, and United have entered it again. We saw Adnan Yanazai and James Wilson make a name for themselves a few years ago. Wayne Rooney played with Everton a, more than a decade ago now. Jesus. Um, a long time. Uh, Tommy Martin, who's interim manager of the under-23s alongside Nicky Butt, is taking an under-19 squad of 17 players there, which includes under-23 players Matthew Olasunde, Regan Paul, Ethan Hamilton, Tossin Kehinde, Callum Whelan and Callum Gribbin. The awesome front four of the under-18s, Boonan, Chong, Buffonge and Gomez are all injured, so I haven't travelled to Dallas, Texas. Um, United are in a group with Curitiba of Brazil, Chivas of Mexico and Real Salt Lake of the US. Um, great experience playing against South American and, and American sides. Um, a very different experience to playing against Chelsea, City, Liverpool, etc. Um, for updates on the Dallas Cup, give at Academy Man United, that's UTD, a follow on Twitter or Facebook. In other news, the under-14s are set for a trip to Spain for the Copa Mallorca. Um, that's from the April 13th to April 16th with new signing Levant Gundogan in the side managed by Hasni Aljafri, a former United Academy graduate himself. In low news, Sam Johnston played the full game for Aston Villa. Uh, disappointing 1-1 draw for them with Burton Albion as they, they look for a late charge for the playoff spots in the Championship. Andreas Pereira was one of Granada's better players in a 3-1 loss to Valencia with relegation looking likely for his side and obviously Adnan Yenzai couldn't play against United for Sunderland. Mention Yanazai. Let's talk about Yanazai. Should he should he stay or or should he go now? Uh, nice, nice use of song lyrics there. Uh, <laughs> I think I honestly think Adnan Yanazai's time at United is coming to an end. Um, I don't think he's had a, has had a necessarily a, a bad season at Sunderland, um, but I also don't think he's done anything really to enhance his chances of staying. I don't think, especially now with Lingard getting a new contract with. So many options in wide areas that we have. I, I can't see a place for Yanazai in the squad at the moment. I think he'd end up just sitting, possibly not even on the bench most weeks. And that's no way for him to spend to spend now, coming into his prime years. So I think he, I think he'll move on. Whether he'll stay in the Premier League or even in England is, a, is another thing. But I can't see him staying at Man United, especially with the way Mourinho seems to be clearing out a lot of the... The Deadwood, which isn't really a phrase I like, but I guess the the uh, the, mo- the more unuseful parts of our squad, um, he seems to be getting rid of, and I don't think Yanazai will really add much to our squad next next season. Uh, I don't think I just don't think he's done enough, and I don't think he's playing at a level right now where he we can keep him at United with any kind of guarantee of football. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, you have to ask: Will he add anything to United? Is he going to improve enough to be able to add anything to United? And is the attitude right for him 
to be able to sit on the bench for some time and try and make an impact. And to be honest, all three of those, I'd probably say no. I mean, it seems a bit harsh, but fifty nine percent of people agree with us too. We did a we did a poll on our on our Twitter. Fifty nine percent said sell him. Thirty two percent give him one last chance at United, and nine percent said loan him out again. Which seems a, a fair balance. I mean, strangely, I mean that's between people, but that's sort of how I feel. I, I definitely don't think he should be loaned out again. I don't think there's any point to be honest. Um, and it seems harsh, and I don't like to say it, but I think yeah, I think it's it's time for Yanazai to go because he isn't. I mean, it's difficult being at Sunderland on loan, uh, particularly under David Moyes. Generally, it's just difficult being in a relegation side. But you see, Andreas Pereira and Granada even even more difficult situation with a a squad made up of basically only players on loan or players who have just arrived at the club. Half of the squad don't speak the same language as each other. There's no common language in the squad, and Pereira's dealing with it very well, being one of their best players. So. Um, it is possible. Now, we've also done another poll. Um, slightly, a few more of you voted on this. Um, let's talk about Javier Hernandez. 86% of people who responded to our, our Twitter poll said they'd take Chicharito back at United. Would you? Yeah, I, I definitely would take Chicharito back. I, I think I agree with Marino that it was a mistake to sell him. Um, I, he, he always offered us that poacher's instinct that we could really use now. With the way we create so many chances but score about 5% of them, um, having someone like Chicharito in the team who always knew how, where to be in the right place at the right time would be a huge boost to our team. He's still only 28, so he's still got some good years ahead of him. He's playing extremely well in the Bundesliga, in a league that usually is regarded as arguably the most similar to the Premier League, I think. Um, so I think he could easily he could easily come back. He, he knows the club. And... Fundamentally, he scores goals, and that is that is what we need. He offers something really that not I don't think any of our other strikers have as much of a poacher's instinct as him. Zlatan, I think, may, maybe does possess it, but because of how often he drops deep, he's never really in a position to to do anything about it. And Rashford, Martial don't. They, that's not their game. And I think Chicharito would add another dimension to us, even if, as Mourinho said, it would be as a half an hour, 20 minute cameo at the end of the game when we we need of a goal. That's how he was used when he was here before and he was extremely effective at it. So I would love to see him back. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would take him back, but he wouldn't be my first choice. And if you return to what he was before, I don't mean as a player, I mean the mentality he had before. Because in his last two seasons, he started wanting to be more of the main man, I think. Um, if he returned to being happy with being the Solskjaer's second coming then I'd love to have him back. But if he was desperate to play every game, then no, because, I mean, I want him to want to play every game, obviously. But if he's not going to accept being on the bench for a considerable amount of the season, then it's just a problem waiting to happen. Because he, should, he shouldn't be our first choice, but I would love to have him as a as a substitute option. Because, and even if Mourinho, he's name-dropped Hernandez twice now. And even if it doesn't mean he's going to try and, Bayer Hernandez back from Bayer Leverkusen. I'm hoping it means that he's looking to sign a poacher because he said, "Will we buy a striker? Maybe." Um, but I'm hoping because he's he's recognizing Chicharito and and his attributes. He spoke about. He said, "We need a striker who can react quickly when the goalkeeper bounces about, when there's a rebound off the post, everything when it gets into the six-yard box." So hopefully that means he's looking to buy uh, what everyone would call a true number nine, the the quick. Poacher like Hernandez, like Solskjaer. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping that's what he means on that one. 
And, and some people on Twitter have been agreeing with that. You've, uh, Andy Sanderson said, yes, he can take over Zlatan when he leaves. Um, slightly disagree on that one. I don't think he can take over from Zlatan. But um, at 43, Easy Done says he was a perfect squad player slash super sub. Should never have been sold, especially after letting Welbeck go too. Um, it's strange because at the time, I, I support the decision to, to sell Hernandez. I thought it's the right time for him to go. I didn't think he was playing well. His last two seasons, he wasn't playing particularly well. Um, but yeah. I, I think I agree that he'd be a great squad player. Um, right, we've got a couple more questions. We've already answered one about Marcus Rashford, and we've got one from at Distinct Average. If he says, if you could bring one United player back in their prime to help the squad, who would it be? Oh God, are we talking from the last few like people that are still playing? Or no, 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 we're talking, we're talking history. History, oh, the lot of options. I know we're we're blessed here. We've got twenty five years since Fergie arrived, and that's just that's just the second coming of United as a, as a major superpower. So yeah, we got we got plenty of choice. I mean, in terms of what our squad most needs, it's probably a centre back. In in the long term, yeah, we definitely need a centre back. But if we're talking this season for the for the last sort of leg of the season, as we look for a Europa League win and to to finish top four in the Premier League, I I wouldn't want a centre back. I'd want a a Hernandez, not Hernandez. I'll think of who I want in a second but I'd I'd rather have a poacher for this back end of the season than, than have a good centre-back although long term you want a centre-back yeah I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to say Mark Hughes honestly um, sorry the way he returned to the club is kind of similar to Hernandez we've just been talking about off the top of my head he's I think he'd suit us very well at the moment he was exactly that kind of striker that we'd need um, fair shout who, who would you um, well I've said I've said I wanted a poacher I'd, I'd take I take Solskjaer simply because we there's been so many times when we've got to 65 minutes or got to half time and known what kind of game, what kind of second half or what kind of last 30 minutes it was going to be, um, where we're looking for that goal and they're just sitting back and Solskjaer would be the perfect man to finish those those crosses coming in from from various people. So maybe Solskjaer. Um, I mean, it's difficult because we've already got Ibrahimovic and there's so I mean. Obviously, you you take Cantona, but if you're looking to fit him into the team alongside Zlatan, then I mean Zlatan and Cantona playing together would be oh, Jesus Christ! Imagine the, the post-match interviews with those two. Right, we haven't got any more questions, so that's it for Series Two, Episode Thirty Two of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us as always. Um, we'll have a preview for Anderlecht in the Europa League on Thursday. Um, out on Monday morning or Monday lunchtime. So listen in for that when we welcome uh, guest John Chapman at Beljo Foot. And we're also talking a bit about Yuri Tielmon, supposed Man United target, as well as Royal Antwerp, who, if uh, if you're of a certain age, um, well, basically older than 10, you'll remember where United United were linked with Antwerp back in the, the mid-2000s. Um, a couple of our youngsters. We'll be talking that plus Anderlecht um, on the Thursday night with John Chapman at Beljo Foot. Thank you for joining us as always. You can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. You can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T A I T, and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four. Have a great week. Goodbye. Like I said, I feel like Benjamin Button. <laughs> I was born old. I will die young. Well, you played well today, and I'll grab the award from down here. Thank you. Premier League match. match. We'll play Benjamin. Thank you. <laughs> Stop, wait a second. Um, if you want to listen to our Andelect preview with John Chapman at Belgio Foot, the, the definitive source on Belgian football, then just keep listening.
wait till the music ends and it will play gloriously in your ears. Or you can alternatively just download the separate episode, 10 minutes long, of our Anderlecht preview with, with uh, John Chapman at Belgium. It's a good listen. He tells us what to expect from the Belgian side on Thursday night in that Europa League first leg. Cheers. <laughs> We're fortunate to have John Chapman at Beljo Foot on Twitter joining us to preview United's Europa League first leg game against Anderlecht this Thursday. Um, John, many thanks for coming on. Are United in danger of, of underestimating Anderlecht? Is, is this a team set for their first league title since 2014? Anderlecht, yeah, they look like they are favourites for the, for the Belgian title, certainly. Um, there hasn't been a lot of competition this year, to be honest. It's been a funny season. As for United, will they underestimate Anderlecht? Um, I don't know, really. Um, I guess they feel they're going to start favourites. Uh, the Anderlecht team feel they're going to start favourites. Um, but I guess there are some people in Belgium who might look at United and think, well, maybe they're not quite the team they were and there could be an upset. Because it's, it's, it's a strange one. Everyone, everyone seems to be going into this uh, from, from an English perspective, thinking that United should run away with the Europa League and and come back winners when we get to late May. But um, there are some good sides left in the competition. And one of those is Andelix, uh as you say, likely to be champions. Starting off with uh, the first leg in Belgium at home. Anderlecht shown good good home form this year? Well, it's been a funny old season for Anderlecht. Um, they, they got a new coach in, the Swiss guy. Um, uh, and he didn't do very well at start. Almost, uh, almost lost his job, to be honest. And it's only in the last couple of months that they've really showed some good form and went to the top of the league. Um, so not particularly good home form this season, except maybe in the last few, uh, couple of months, uh, six weeks. Um, Thielmans and Dendonka are the, the two players who are making them tick in midfield. And, and Thielmans been a bit of a revelation since uh, Stephen Defoe left and moved to the Premier League. He's really relished the responsibility. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk um, a bit more about TM1 in, in just a second. Um, but, but who else except TM1 um, will, will prove a danger to United over the two legs? Because uh, United's defensive attributes are, are not too strong, as we've seen over the, over the last few months. Well, that's an interesting one because they've got a big striker, a big Polish striker, Teodorczyk, who is who was on loan from Dynamo Kiev, but they've just signed him about three weeks ago. Uh, they had this option to sign him, and they've signed him, but he wants actually to leave in the summer, so that's a bit strange. But So they're going to make a lot of money out of him. He's the leading goal scorer in the league, uh, 28 goals in all competitions. He's, he's very useful, but uh, there's a chance they may not play him because 
um, they, they're playing on two fronts, as you know, Europa League and the Belgian League. And they've got 27 uh, games in the next 21 days. And their, and their priority has got to be the league. So he's a big danger, but the question is there is, will he start? They've got, apart from that, they've got a guy called Hani, the captain, who's uh, a clever player. But the player I really like is Dendonka. He's, he's maybe not going to hurt United, but he plays just in front of the back four. He hasn't missed a minute to any of the league games. He's just broken into the Belgian squad, and he's certainly one for the future. Interesting. United fans complaining about our fixtures. Seven games in 21 days is, is even more of a slug. Um, do, do you expect Anderlecht to, to try and frustrate United? As uh, as so many sides have done this season, I mean, we we I was looking at it yesterday. We've we've never failed to score against Anderlecht. Um, I'm sure very few people can remember that that famous ten nil win back in in '56 <laughs> with the Busby Babe. But um, do you think Anderlecht will try and frustrate us? No, uh, they're not that kind of team. Uh, they're very good going forward, um, defensively. Lots of question marks. I think it'll be uh, an attacking open game in both legs. Uh, they'll give it a go. That, that's the only way they can play, really. And they've got some talented players. So, you know, who knows what will happen. But they they certainly won't try and frustrate Manchester United. Yuri Tielman, I don't want to just ask how good is he, but is it right that you've been linked to Premier League sides like United? I, I read this morning that... Uh, Monaco are now favourites for his signature, but it, it, I mean every club has been favourite over the last few months. Yeah, the favourites, the favourites change every couple of weeks. Um, I, th- in my opinion, Tielmans was overhyped um, for two or three years. Really, he, he broke into the team at 16. He was named Young Player of the Year in his first two seasons, but he, he shouldn't really have been named player, young player of the year. He did, he did very little, really. Um, he's, as I said before, he's only really come into his own, apart from one or two games, which were sort of media savvy, um, in the last six months. And he's, 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 he's a bit like company. He's a, a young guy, very mature at a young age, and he's a natural leader. Um, so, yeah, maybe it is right to link him with big clubs. Roberto Martinez has said to him, or said publicly, that he would like Tielmans to go to um, a club where he gets game time. Uh, that rules out Manchester United, I think, because he wouldn't walk into that squad and play regularly. So he's got to be careful where he goes. Monaco sounds a very good yeah, idea. Uh, Monaco have a, a good record now over the past two seasons of, of developing players. and I mean, perhaps Tielmans is looking at Martial at United and thinking... Um, yeah, a bit like United, who have not got a very good record. Bringing on the <laughs> uh, what are you predicting for Thursday, the, fir- the first leg in Belgium, um, out on a limb? Um, I'd say Thursday 2-2. I'll, I'll take that, two away goals sure. and, and an exciting game. Um, and finally, just a, a word on Royal Antwerp. You know, I'm sure many United fans uh, will remember were linked with us back in, back in the mid-2000s. How are they doing now? Uh, that's that's what I started writing about football. My first job about 20 years ago was Royal Antwerp. I was the link with the Manchester Evening News. Um, right. How are they doing now? They've just been promoted um, in rather strange circumstances, but they will be in the first division next year. Um, hard to say how they'll do. Um, 
they don't have any outstanding players, but um, yeah, they've been trying to get back in now for about over a, over over a decade, I think. They finally made it, um, so it will be interesting to see how they do. They've certainly got very uh, fanatical fans, which should be interesting. Uh, John Chapman, thank you very much for for joining us. Um, you can find John on Twitter at BelgioFoot. Um, the the only source you need really for Belgian football, I'd I'd like to say. <laughs> You're very kind. And I enjoyed talking to you, Harry. That was a lovely John Chapman at Belgio Foot. Do give him a follow. He, as he said um, at the end there, he covered United and Royal Antwerp's link back in the mid-2000s for the Manchester Evening News and now covers Belgian football and and other players, uh, other Belgian players coming into the leagues like Manchester United captain Marouin Fellaini. What am I going for this game? They can't like, follow, follow John. I, I would follow John with a 2-2. Um, he knows what he's talking about. But I'm going to be... Uh, slightly less positive about the amount of goals. I'll go 1 1. I'll take, see United take a valuable away goal back to Old Trafford. Uh, decent result at Anderlecht, but um, hoping that, that that tall Polish striker that John talked about doesn't play because he could cause havoc against uh, our defence. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this, this additional episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Series 2, episode 32, extra, if you like, um, with John Chapman at Beljo Foot on Twitter, previewing United's Europa League first leg against Anderlecht this Thursday. Um, thank you, as always, for joining us. You can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. You can find me at, at HarryRobinson64. And for the full episode, for the full series to episode 32, just go on Acast or iTunes or on our Twitter and you can follow Jack at UTD Tate. That's T-A-I-T. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Network.